0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Make a Talk TV. I am Lee. I am here. I am joined by Spencer. Spencer, I say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. Spencer, we have found our way to Mandalorian Chapter 13, The Jedi. This is the Ahsoka episode, Spencer. I cannot believe we have finally got here. I got to tell you, Christmas has come early for me. Uh, when, we write the, when they write the book on me and you doing podcasts, they are going to remember this day. I have wanted to do this episode with you for at least a year before... The episode was ever released because I had, a, a, you know, some <laughs> some spoilers that it was going to, and I have wanted to talk about the uh, actual on-screen appearance of Ahsoka Tano with you. Um, ever since we started doing Mandalorian, ever since I heard about it, which has been a very long time ago. So yeah, uh, big big day for me. Christmas come early for uh, for Lee over here. How you feeling?
1: <laughs> I am legitimately impressed at your discretion, because from what you've revealed to me over the course of those last few episodes, you have known that this was going to happen for a while. And yet yeah. you've been keeping that to yourself, keeping it in, working diligently not to spoil me. And that is one thing I very much appreciate about you, sir.
0: It was probably January, February of last year, maybe that about that time frame, that I caught wind that Favreau was working with Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni did, the, he's directed this episode, but he also did The Clone Wars he was working with them on potentially bringing a Sokotando onto the small screen, as it were. And couldn't wait, uh, cause so, as we talked about two episodes ago on Mangum Talks TV. Sokotando, one of my favorite Star Wars characters of all time. That, despite the fact she was never in the main movies. And we never really talked about her because you are an EU guy. You are an expanded universe guy. You're a Legends guy. I am. You poo poo the new canon, I, sir. I...
1: I <laughs> It is true. There are aspects of the new canon that outright pissed me off, but even I, jaded misanthrope that I am, acknowledge that Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, where a certain time I was appeared, are among the finest material that has been released as part of the new age of Star Wars. E- even though it technically was originally released as part of the Legends era, but it's become canon and continued on since.
0: It survived the scrapping of the old canon. Um, And I'm certainly glad it did. And I would venture to to guess a big part of that is they didn't want to scrap Ahsoka's character. She's so popular. Go into your neighborhood Hot Topic, Spencer. You're there in Florida. You're going to have a lot of them at one (laughs) of those strip malls. You walk into that Hot Topic, you're going to see Ahsoka Tano t-shirts because the kids love Ahsoka.
1: And it is interesting to see in this episode, not only do you get Ahsoka Tano, you also get the name drop to what I think is probably one of your favorite characters from the Legends era too, who's also now continued into the modern canon era.
0: Now that surprised me. I knew we were getting Ahsoka. I did not know we were getting Ahsoka Grogu? Hmm? Hmm? <laughs> Grogu? Hmm? Uh, I did not even know we were getting that much interaction, and I did not know we were getting a reference to Grand Admiral Thrawn. We will talk about that and more in the recap, which I will lead. Sp- Spencer will then go into, uh, give me some uh, Best Line of the Episode nominees, and then he will go to Nostalgic Moment of the Episode. I don't know if you should do Nostalgic Moment of the Episode, this episode, or I should, Spencer. We're going to fight over (laughs) Considering how uh, the canon that they're dredging up is canon that I really um, have interacted with probably a little bit more so than you as a loyal follower of Clone Wars and reader of the new books. um, Which I don't think you've really dabbled in too much,
1: have you? I am aware of them. And I have read summaries of them, and you've told me about them, but I have not sat down to read them as much as they have been recommended to me, not only by yourself, but by other people. But I feel very much passionately that for this episode, the nostalgic moment of the episodes needs to be a collaborative effort. There are moments that are unique to each of us that need to be addressed each in their own turn.
0: And I can't believe this. I can't believe I'm giving up sweet, precious time on this podcast that I've looked forward to doing for so long to give you air to... Uh, do a little bit of a shout out uh, to your sister podcast, Mangum Reads. Floor is yours. Go ahead.
1: For those of you that aren't familiar, Mangum Reads is the opportunity to do a digital book club to bring us all together over shared literature that we all can enjoy with a nice glass in hand, hopefully by a roaring fire now that we're in winter. We right now have just finished up the Forward Collection, uh, which is a set of short stories released by preeminent sci-fi writers on Amazon Prime. It's a delightful collection. We quite enjoyed it and hope you'll enjoy our discussions of it we're now moving on to the agatha christie awards for best thriller and mystery over the course of the last year we'll uh, we'll be releasing those probably once a week and we hope you'll join in to listen with us
0: all right that's it mangum reads check it out but this podcast is mangum talks tv and we are jumping into the recap this is chapter 13 we're going to start tracking the episodes that way because that's how the show is really doing it so it's. Chapter 13 of the overall Mandalorian saga, this one titled The Jedi. What? Okay, we start with a town center hearing bells. And right from Jump Street, this episode has a different look than other episodes. Because it, we are on a, so. we're on a different planet. Um, and on this planet, it is very clear that the natural resources have been stripped over a long period of time. Yeah, that, I think I, we want to get that right away, uh, or at least I got that impression right away. Spencer, did that jump off the page to you, or jump off the screen to you as you, you started watching it?
1: Partic- very much so, particularly given how we previously had this planet described before, where this was described as the forest planet of Corvus. And what we see at the start of this episode is a blasted-like mining site by comparison. We see trees, trees that look like they have been dead and burned to the ground years in the past. And from orbit, we see there are still, you know, properly vertiginous aspects of the planet that still exist. But where we are around the city, looks like we are in the middle of the worst strip mining site you can find on planet Earth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's what I noticed, too. So the forest moon of Corvus, not so much a forest uh, moon anymore the town seems to be built on a bit, a little bit of high rise at least there's parts of the town that's on a high rise um, um up over like a wall and then i think there's a lower part too where there's some settlements but um the the, the upper part and lower part are all behind a wall mm. and overlooking this barren forest has been decimated and we see some troops who are running out and we don't see what they're running out to until we see not one but two lightsabers spencer is out of Sokatanu's music so Kitanu jumps out of the shadows slashing and cutting in a really beautifully shot scene here killing innumerable guards just showing what a badass she is i do love that from jump street they are establishing that she's still using the force she's still got her two two count them, two lightsabers which she always had in clone wars and rebels and she's murking some bad guys here
1: and Uh, correct me if i'm wrong too but these are very distinctly the her twin white lightsabers too that she's always seen with these are very much emblematic of her of her and her her role as the jedi uh
0: no she used to have a different different color lightsabers oh really yeah in clone wars she had different color lightsabers and now she's got white ones and i think that that um there's there's a there's a There's some sort of story to that that I don't have off the top top of my head right now. And I believe it's told in books. But I, I think the fact that she's got white lightsabers as opposed to her previous color is supposed to illustrate that she is no longer involved in the Jedi Order. Now, a little background on Ahsoka. We did cover it two episodes ago. I will cover it again now. She was Anakin's Padawan. And we only see her as a very young girl in Clone Wars and Rebels. Rebels a little bit older, but Clone Wars, definitely a young girl here, you know, being played by Rosario Dawson. She's clearly aged up five years after the events of Return of the Jedi. But anyway, back when she was Anakin's Padawan, as Anakin was starting to really go down a, a dark road and really starting to spiral in his emotions, Ahsoka got um, accused of doing something. It's kind of a long story. I won't go into what she got accused of doing but she got accused of doing something that was a crime against the jedi order the jedi council cast her out stripping her um of any association with the jedi one kind of one jedi um knew this was a whole fucking uh, whole bunch of horse shit and that was Matt grandmaster yoda yoda even had a, t- had a had a moment with her where he indicated to her that he knew this was bullshit and i think that buoyed her a little bit as mm-hmm. she as she left coruscant uh, and she went out on her own. And there's, you know, multiple books of what Ahsoka does in the time when she's cast out of the Jedi Order. Cast out, of course, got right before Order 66, too. So it's pretty good timing for her. And what we see now, which is clearly a loner, but also somebody who is still very much in control of the Force and um, has a purpose
1: and I do like it just from a filmmaking standpoint, this is a beautifully shot opening of this, but I love situations of where the hero of, this, of the episode is portrayed as being the monster to the people that we're actually being, having, having the point of view on. To these guards, they are clearly utterly terrified. They are fleeing yep. from some like demon from the mist that is pursuing them right now. The mist. And I'm going to make are, mist
0: jokes all the way through this, by the way. Wait, go least, ahead.
1: <laughs> given, given the use of fog and mist that just wraps up this episode, perfectly fair. Um, but I love just the feeling of outright terror that's wrapping up these people as they are running from something that they scarcely can understand, much less deal with.
0: Now there is, if you, if you get the book Ahsoka Tano, it is, it covers the early years when she is cast out of the Jedi order. She breaks with Anakin. This is, I think right around the time, Anakin's starting to turn the events of episode three, Revenge of the Sith. And she tries to not use the Force Mm -hmm. in this book. She is trying to do what the Jedi Council told her to do, which is to basically just forget that you ever, basically walk away, forget you ever learned any of this shit, and just go be a normal person. She tries to do that in that book. She's not capable of doing it. But if you read that book, you are kind of left wondering just how much of her status as somebody who who is a force user she was going to continue to hold on to it's a little unclear at the end of that book pretty clear early on in this episode that somewhere along the line she's embraced the fact that she's a force user and she's just riding with it
1: as one thing they bring up later on in this is that people that have either been cast out or rejected the jedi order or have rejected the sith in various capacities have often done that in a manner by which they just kind of abandon the force. They almost willfully forget their connection to it and their bloody wield, or even consciously in certain cases. It is clearly not a life path that she has made, and though that she in some way resists the idea of being called a Jedi, she clearly, as you said, is still a practitioner of the light side of the force, just no longer associated with the order. Yeah. Not that it exists anymore in the current state that we're observing her in.
0: hmm Yep. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, but like you talked about, it's a beautifully shot scene here because she's kind of flying in and out of the mist and she's killing a bunch of people. And on top of the wall, some lady who is clearly the leader of this town, we learn later that this is Morgan Elsbeth. This is the Magistrate of Kaladin. Um, And Morgan Elsbeth has a a long history, which we'll get into a little bit later. But she is very much somebody who has been with the Empire for a long time. She's OG Empire rider, Spencer.
1: And yeah, she asks
0: Ahsoka, go ahead.
1: I think her even, even title was still Imperial Magistrate. I guess this planet is still nominally under Imperial control just thanks to her.
0: Yeah, out there in the Outer Rim. And she asks Ahsoka to show herself, calling her a Jedi.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the episode, a lot of, this is funny. So the ch- episode's called the Jedi. Uh, Elspeth calls her a Jedi. Mando is under the impression she is a Jedi. All the while, never a Jedi. <laughs> Much as I love Ahsoka, was never a Jedi Knight. Um, is not a Jedi now.
1: She was a member of the Jedi Order. I think it is fair to say. Yes, a Padawan, she, yeah. but a member right. of the Order.
0: Right. It's just funny that like she just keeps being called a Jedi. Yeah. I feel like you know you could come up with like a pretty good like buddy cop thing where like she just like you <laughs> keeps it. Wow. I'm not a Jedi, damn it! Like everybody just <laughs> keeps calling her a Jedi. Um, Ahsoka emerges through the shadows. Says, "We've been expecting you." Um, This is what Elspeth tells her We've been expecting you Uh, Ahsoka Then you know what I want Elisabeth You will learn nothing from me Put a pin in that It Mm. it does become important later Uh, Elizabeth motions for droids To bring over a prisoner Ask how many lives The knowledge she possesses is worth Meaning How long are you going to keep fighting To get information from me And doing so motivates me To kill innocent people A very classic Imperial move here Which is, you are doing something I don't like, and in order to pay you back for that, I I can't really hurt you right now, but I am going to hurt your sense of morality and goodness in the world by hurting other innocent people. It's something the emperor did all the time
1: it's a classic evil villain trope to deal with the lawful or neutral good hero is that I know you're going to care about this a lot more than I do. And though I can't contend with you, I can get you to stop by fear of hurting innocent people around me. But
0: shockingly enough for anybody who has any background in Ahsoka, this does not flinch Ahsoka. doesn't seem to shake her at all, which shows her character growth from the Clone Wars because I'm going to tell you one thing. That little girl, that, not little girl, but that teenager that we saw in the Clone Wars She would have melted at such a prospect, but she stands firm and tough here.
1: Yes and no. She stands firm and tough, but she doesn't push the issue. She's clearly trying to help and protect this guy, but she's not going to allow herself to appear to be cowed. She backs away into the mist. She does not continue her attack at this moment. But as you said, she's at least representing to the other side that she's indifferent, while I still think... From the rest of the episode we see she's actively designing her plans to protect these people as much as she can
0: well i can go ahead and write it dave filoni cut me a check i can go ahead and write it because old school ahsoka would have started yelling let him go let him go! Yeah. like she would have done that move but this new ahsoka is is a, has a much more uh stiff upper lip i would say
1: i mean we're, we're talking decades since you saw her back in clone wars at this point right she has grown uh, up in-
0: probably probably 15 20 years yeah absolutely
1: um, but one, one little detail, because we have some great uh, guest stars in this episode. Did you happen to recognize um, the uh, actress that's playing the Imperial Magistrate? Uh, no. Who is it? And that is Diana Lee in Osanto. We talked before about um, Fabro Lightning to cast experts. She's one of the most distinguished martial artists alive today, at least a female martial artist. She's an ex- a very experienced stuntwoman, actress, martial artist. To give you an example, her godfather was Bruce Lee, to give you the idea of the, of the pedigree that she's drawing from. Wow. Her dad trained under him for years, so it's nice to see that he's continuing, Fabrice continuing to cast experienced martial artists, experienced stunt people, experienced wrestlers, to fit characters that are then going to need to use those skills in the roles. I'm perfectly willing to believe that that given her prior role as a fight trainer and fight planner, that she probably even uh, choreographed the fight between her and Rosara Dawson, but don't know that for sure.
0: Maybe. Um, but Ahsoka tells the leader to surrender Or face the consequences So she has one day to decide So this is really getting at what I was talking about before Which is she, Ahsoka does not collapse At the prospect of an innocent person Being there um, under the clutches Of this lady And in, uh, quite the opposite She says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to press on You've got a day to figure out what you want to do And Ahsoka walks back into the mist and mm-hmm. darkness the leader guards, so the the lady, Elizabeth, she's got this guard next to her. I never caught this guy's name. I even tried to find it online. Spencer, did you get this guy's name in the script? Lang. Bleh. All right, Lang. I'm going to probably go back and forth with Lang and what I put in my notes, which is just the guard, head guard, says, we, we, will yeah, Michael we will be ready when she returns. Yeah, uh, Michael Bean. We will be ready when she returns. Will you? Will you? I don't know about that. And then we cut to the opening credits Mm -hmm. cut to the razor's crest. And Mando is telling baby Yoda that they are approaching Corvus and baby Yoda needs to get back into his seat. Now, when I'm watching this, I thought it was like top, like what I do when I'm talking to my cat. Like I had no conception that baby Yoda has started to learn his, his language. Baby Yoda looks at the ball then goes to the top of the gear that goes to the top of the gear shift. Mm -hmm. And Mando reiterates it again. And Baby Yoda gets into his seat. So it seems like he's learning Mando's language. He's not learning... I mean, maybe he already knew it, but I was not under the impression that he knew... Like, Mando could just say things like, Hey, go get in your seat, and he would do it.
1: If nothing else, it is showing that he's learning to trust Mando and listen to him. Regardless of understanding language, he particularly is bonding with Mando, and if Mando tells him something, he trusts him enough to go do it. However... Is there any way we can Amazon a package to the Razor's Crest? Because, dear God, Mando, buy your kid a toy. This kid has one toy in the world, and you keep denying him this thing.
0: Yeah, it's true. And I'm not sure why Mando is so keen on the idea that it has to be on the gear shift. I mean, he can move the gear shift without that little ball. I don't know why he feels like it has to be there all the time.
1: It's a lever. I know it's easier to grab with the ball, dude, but come on, keep your kid happy.
0: Yep. Um, Mando picks up, uh, Mando, Mando takes the ball, so, sorry, um, Baby Yoda gets back into the sea, Baby Yoda clearly learning Mando's language, Baby Yoda keeps looking at the ball, starts to motion, Oh, eyes closed, and the ball slowly begins to unscrew, cut to the razor's crest flying into Corvus, and man, the shots of Corvus are really good here, um, because they actually show the descent of the razor's crest from the perspective of the settlement, they kind of see mm-hmm. it you kind of see it flying in right over top which by the way pretty dicey move on mando's part to fly right over top of the town settlement because he doesn't know if he's coming in to friends or enemies but he flies over it nonetheless um but they do show as he's going through at what we talked about before and we got a sense of during the fight scene with ahsoka which is this is a completely stripped uh planet i mean it's really decimated
1: it is decimated, but like you said, some of these shots are haunting. I love when he lands in the forest and everything's just viewed this just mist, fog, maybe even just smoke from the burning of, the, of, the, of these forests. But in the distance, we get these almost like giant land whales that are continually moving yeah. through, slowly through as they go.
0: I don't know what those creatures are, but they're trying to eat whatever's left of the trees, uh, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amando gets out. Baby Yoda does as well. Um, As you pointed this out in a previous pod, it seems like when when Mando's walking around now, he just assumes Baby Baby Yoda's going to follow him at his own pace. And we see Baby Yoda's carrying the ball. Mando notices it, takes the ball back from him, which gets some cooing protestations from Baby Yoda. Mando picks up Baby Yoda, says he's going to head into town to pick up a lead. Newish music plays here. It's a variation on a a theme played uh, before. Uh, that we've gotten a few times in other episodes, but it's a variation on it in a minor key. And it's kind of fantastic, but ominous. And I think that's pretty fitting music for the the planet of Corvus. Mando approaches the gates of the wall and is asked to state his business. Mando says he's looking for a layover. The guard on the wall, same guy who was up there with Elspeth Lang, as (laughs) you told me his name is. Yeah, great. <clears throat> comments on Mando's armor. This is something that Mando has to deal with every fucking where he goes, Spencer. People immediately are like, wow, a lot of money you got on you. <clears throat> um, Mando doesn't address this. The guy says, you're a hunter then, Mando. That's right. Guild? Last I checked. No, liar. So Mando lies no, right no, off the bat. No,
1: he's in the guild now. He, he's back at its good crisis eh, Is he? I, it, it depends. Do we, do, we still, do we still think Apollo Creed is leader of the guild and a magistrate at the <clears> same time? <throat>
0: No, I never thought he was the leader of the guild. I thought he was just a, a conduit to the guild. I'm not sure he can he can get Mando back into the guild in so long as Mando has Baby Yoda. I mean, we, I would assume that there's still a huge bounty out there on Baby Yoda. I don't know. We can quibble about that.
1: It is not clear. It's really, it really just depends what kind of hats Apollo Creed is wearing right now. Previously, he was a representative of the guild, at least on that planet. Seemingly, <laughs> you know, some prime middle management in the guild. Whether he is still claiming that title now that he's made himself much more legitimate and planet-wide controlling, difficult to say. But one of the terms he offered him was, when you come back and help me with this, I'll clear everything with the guild.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. It's it's not clear. Hard Hard for me to imagine that he has a clean slate considering he's still carrying the asset around, but who knows. The guy opens the gate and Mando walks in, more beautiful cinematography here. Inside the gates, Mando walks through the town which baby with baby yoda and a satchel slung over his arm um so baby yoda doesn't have his his little carrying case anymore his little crib no more crib uh he's just in a satchel Mando tries to talk to a few folks in the street but they all run from him all except one guy who you know very man is creepy says please do not speak to him or to any of us what the fuck does what when you were first watching this what did you think was going on here
1: i what it is delightfully ambiguous. It, sure. it, like you said, there is just this constant feeling of dread that you're getting as walking through this town. It's a, bru- it's a brutal ghetto as it looks anyway, mm-hmm. but just seeing the fear in these people's eyes and their interactions with him and him just begging him, don't even talk with us, please. It's like they're constantly trying to stay out of, out of eyesight, stay under suspicion, any degree of involvement, any degree of even the possibility of threat to the um, magistrate's influence, it's in my mind. They are just taken out.
0: Yeah. Mando begins again, uh, again, begins trying to talk to someone again. And a guard walks up behind Mando and says, the magistrate would like to see you. Mm-hmm. As Mando walks to the magistrate's temple, he sees people beh- uh, being held as a prisoner on these things that sort of evokes the visual of a crucifix. It's not a crucifix, but they're kind of, you know, held up on stakes. So it kind of, kind of, it, 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 it evokes that imagery, I think.
1: Have you ever ever heard historically of Vlad Tepes, Vlad the Impaler?
0: No. Uh,
1: He was a ruler of um, uh, Wallachia, where modern-day Romania is, but he was famous for his Vlad the Impaler because he would capture tens of thousands of people of war and just impale them on stakes and just leave them on stakes on the countryside. Like Mm. when when one of his enemies attacked one of his cities, he crested a hill and found like 10,000 of his men just impaled on stakes waiting for him when he got there. And that's the image this contains. Like you said, it is very much meant to be a public form of punishment as a message.
0: Inside, the magistrate asks Mando to come forward. You are Mandalorian. Yes. I have a proposition that may interest you. The magistrate explains the target is priceless. Says a Jedi plagues her. And she'd like Mando to kill her. Mando says that would be hard, but the magistrate says Mando is well-suited for the job, as the Jedi are the ancient enemy of Mandalore, so the magistrate knows her history. And really appealing to that uh, that history and that pride of Mando. Did never th- I never for a thought moment thought it would work, but you know it's not it's not a bad play on the Magistrate's part.
1: No, it isn't. It, one thing to note here too is just the very much stark difference in setting we get as moment Mando walks through the door to get into yeah. the Magistrate's enclave, where we go from straight up blasted ghetto of where. It is just like a constant amount of smoke and sand that is blowing everywhere. People running in fear, even, even when you look at them for more than a second. And in here, we enter a perfectly tailored Japanese garden by comparison.
0: Damn, a lot of bonsai trees. A lot of bonsai trees here. Mando plays it cool, keeps saying his price is high. A droid walks up to Elspeth with a spear, and she asks Mando what he makes of it. Off the bat, Mando is clearly interested. trustfully play it cool, but he starts looking it over. Mando eventually clangs it on his armor and somehow he's able to tell that it's Beskar. So <laughs> how the fuck does this work? I mean, here's the news here's the news flash to Mando. No matter what you bang what what metal you bang against Beskar against Beskar it's going to make a noise Mando. I, I don't understand how that verifies that it's Beskar's steel.
1: It, it seems to be the resonance that he goes on, but I agree this does not seem like the most scientific of tests. It just seems like I guess there is a unique resonance that occurs when Beskar meets Beskar. Then No, like question by the way because on the uh, Star Wars wiki, they referred to this as the Beskar staff. This is totally a spear, right?
0: Mm, I call it a spear, yeah. I, I mean, that's what it looks like.
1: I thought it was a spear. I thought I saw a point at the end of it. But yeah, they, they're swearing up and down it's a staff. left check it. Right. check it later.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. The magistrate says that if Mando kills the Jedi, he can have the spear slash staff. And the show makes a point to show Baby Yoda. I don't know if you caught this point. Did you catch it? That once she says... If you kill the Jedi, you can have the spear, uh, paraphrasing. Did
1: mm-hmm. they
0: show Baby Yoda's face?
1: No. Tell me, what, what, what was he looking like?
0: They cut to Baby Yoda's face and he is spooked from this line. Does not like the line. And he, I, And it's interesting because not not at all during any other interaction that mando has in the episode where baby yoda's in the satchel do they do a close-up on baby yoda's face to show a reaction shot but they did after the line about killing a jedi i think that's important because of what we learn later about baby yoda but we can put a pin in that talk about it later
1: very possible uh go ahead i enjoy mando's response to this offer of where he pointedly never accepts it he pointedly never says i accept your terms and i will go kill the jedi you know what this is what?
0: this is this is Mando this is this is making social plans with Spencer. <laughs> this is what Mando this is what Mando's doing. Like sure, you yeah, ask Spencer, yeah, you're like, hey man, uh three months from now we're all getting together to be chess. Do you want to go? That like, that's an interesting proposition.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am intrigued by the idea that you have suggested, and I will return to you for further information at a later date. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that is exactly what Mando's doing. You're right. Mando's playing it super cool here.
1: I I, don't, I would never use the phrase super cool to describe what I'm doing with respect to you guys, but I like the analogy that you just drew. <laughs> but we, get, yep. we we cut from there to Mando just kind of walking off into the fog with Lang yep. kind of looking after him going saying, hey, I hope you, that little t- pet of yours keeps you lucky. Yep.
0: Uh, cut to outside the city walls and Mando is standing there with the magistrate. Um, magistrate's number two, with the magistrate's number two Lang. Um, he asked what baby Yoda is. Mando, I keep it around for luck. You're going <laughs> to need it where you're headed. So, I, you know what? I like that Mando does this, though. The more he can minimize Baby Yoda and not, like, draw attention yeah. to him, the better. So I, I, I would probably, if I was Mando, start calling him, like, a pet or something just to get people off of the scent, right?
1: I would have long ago just said, hey, this is my, this is my Star Wars pug equivalent, and, yeah, just go with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. Ominous warning music plays here and Mando slowly walks out into the stripped forest. Um, ominous music continues to play as the guards walk back into the city walls, cut to Mando walking through the quote forest. He's got a spear out. Um, or I guess this is a proper staff, right? Like the thing that Mando has, the thing that has the electricity that he killed the greater great dragon with in part, Mm -hmm. that's a staff, right?
1: I think. Yeah.
0: All right. That's what I'm gonna call it. (laughs) where me and you are, have already gotten bored at the spear staff distinction.
1: I mean, he's, he's also looking through his rifle scope at various times. He's using a variety of his gear now to hunt for the Jedi in the middle of this blasted landscape.
0: Mando keeps a running dialogue with Baby Yoda as he's going, no different than what I do when I'm walking around the house with my cats. It's clear that Baby Yoda is very good for Mando's loneliness because he's just like, well, got to look for some things here. <laughs> just, just talking to him as he goes, which is funny. Uh, Mando starts using what I'm going to call Mando vision, which doesn't produce much, but he hears something in this distance. He sits baby Yoda down, keeps looking through Mando vision. And then is that Ahsoka Tanu's music? Ahsoka drops in off the top rope and her and Mando fight for a while. During the fight, it's very clear that his Beskar armor is holding up to direct hits from her Jedi lightsabers. Pause, Spencer complained.
1: I'm, I, again, I, I've expressed this before, and it's going to get worse before this season is over. But man, they have made ma- they have made uh, Beskar armor just overpowered over the course of this show. I think it's also in keeping with some things they've started to do in the canon lore too. But it, this stuff is just the utter adamantium mithril of the Star Wars setting. Now it's not. He not only blocks lightsabers with his like I guess they're the vambraces, braces that we call that piece of the armor. He kind of blocks them with his uh, arm guards, but they don't even look damaged. As we look at them later, they look utterly unharmed. These things aren't just resistant. They appear to be, like, immune to lightsabers. And that, in my mind, is just starting to get to the point of you're getting to invincible hero territory. And I worry the more we go in that direction. It's minor here. I'm sure they could have showed us more that would balance it out. But it's another moment that is getting me a little bit worried they're taking Beskar too far.
0: Cut back to Mando fighting with Ahsoka. Finally, he... he, And by the way... One thing I'd like to point out, you are right. The Beskar is deflecting and, and holding up to the lightsabers without showing any yet real damage. It, we can quibble on if that's a good idea or not. But one thing we cannot, we can come to agreement on, we can't argue about, is Ahsoka's getting the better of Mando here. Mando doesn't have very long left before he hollers out, Ahsoka Tano! And she's, boom, she kind of stops a little bit bo sent me. We need to talk. This causes Ahsoka to stop. Ahsoka looks up and in the background sees Baby Yoda and says, I hope it's about him.
1: <laughs> I, I love saying. that response. I love that response. I love the, the immediate transition. It, the, the transition just hammers home what I was expecting earlier in the fight. And what we see again with the fight that she engages in later, Ahsoka Tata is practically just playing with people. It's almost like she's just in the mood for a fight and so is meeting you on somewhat equal terms. And the fact that she just so quickly transitions from I'm going to kill you to immediately, pleasantly, oh, let's discuss the kid just really Mm -hmm. hammers that home behind is that this girl wasn't even breathing hard when it came to this fight.
0: Um, We are going to cut to an extremely exciting set of scenes.
1: My favorite scenes in the episode, bar none. Very much so.
0: Uh, My favorite in this in the episode, probably my favorite in the series. Only the only because my favorite part of the series is and always has been Baby Yoda, Mm -hmm. and we get more background on Baby Yoda than we've ever gotten before. We very we've had very very little to date, which some people like, you know, kind of keeps them mysterious and you keep you know theory crafting. But we're uh, in the back half of season two. It's about time we learn about him and. By God, we are going to. So we cut to nighttime. time. <laughs> so hours have passed and Baby Yoda and Ahsoka are just sitting across from each other. Um, just looking at each other. While Mando stalks in the background, obviously anxious, wondering what's going on now. Spencer, I'm going to pause there. Did you know what they were doing? Uh, as, I... as, as, as Immediately.
1: I assumed, yes. I mean, yeah, it, I, did yeah. it, I mean, just even the facial reactions to two of them are sharing a little smile as they're engaging. They're clearly communicating with each other right now in a way that Mando just has no ability to process. It's In his mind, it, there are people are just sitting here wasting a monstrous amounts of time.
0: Grade A, top quality, 100% puppeteering here because baby yoda is very expressive moving his head moving his hands cooing making sounds ahsoka gives a few knowing smiles as well to him eventually baby yoda lifts his arms up and clearly wants to be carried i'm not sure i've ever seen baby yoda do that no. um i've always seen mando pick him up i've seen baby yoda hold mando's arm or hand but i've never seen baby yoda like lift his like you know how like a toddler does lift the arms up like mm-hmm. i want to be picked up right now I never remember him doing that before.
1: Closest I think we've ever really seen is that we've seen him like run over to Mando and like grab his leg. It has an element of that, but like you said, it is a very stark childhood gesture of reaching up your arms to be picked up and carried. And we see that right here.
0: Also shows a level of trust that Baby Yoda does not afford anyone except for Mando. Like Baby Yoda does not trust people at all. And the fact that he's lifting up his arms here shows that he's immediately gotten, um, he's immediately trusted Ahsoka and gotten Relatively close with her. Ahsoka um, picks him up and brings him over to Mando. She sits um, Baby Yoda down, and Mando asks if Baby Yoda is speaking, and Ahsoka understands him. Ahsoka, in a way, Grogu and I can feel each other's thoughts. Grogu,
1: <laughs> starting the most adorable little meme <laughs> we get over the course of the show is that every time Grogu is said, Baby Yoda's like, What? Yes, <laughs> I'm here.
0: Every time he says Grogu, Baby Yoda gives him a <laughs> look. Yes, that's his name. So in this exchange, Spencer. Woo! This is big. I'm getting my Rick Flair out. Mandu says Grogu. Baby Yoda looks over him, over at him as if hearing his name, we have learned two things here. One, Baby Yoda's name is Grogu. That's right, everybody. Grogu accept it now you'll be the better for it <laughs>
1: i was okay? going to ask you about this is that this has got the, the fa- this has got the fandom in just knots right now but discussing this name
0: i don't give it i don't give a shit what the fandom says because there's no name that favreau could have picked that they would have liked they were going to be he had to na- get the name of baby yoda at some point out there they were never going to like the name grogu is the name grogu it is i will now commence to Pumping the brakes on calling him Baby Yoda in the Mang TV review of The Mandalorian and calling him Grogu. I don't know how well I'm going to do at it, but I'm going to try.
1: I really enjoy how Favreau doubles down when it comes to the, the phrase we're mm-hmm. meant to refer to Baby Yoda as, sorry, Grogu as, is that first season, stubbornly, it was the child. The, oh, it was the child. It was not anything else. It was the child. When that did not work, we've now doubled down on Grogu. Which we'll see if it sticks any better than the child did, but I have my doubts.
0: I think it'll stick better than the child. I think there's still going to be a contingent of people who call him Baby Yoda, but yeah. So Ahsoka explains that's his name again. I have always referred to Baby Yoda as as a male, just with my pronouns, but we never have known that. Now we know that it is a it's a male. So it's it's Grogu and it's a bo- it's a boy. It's a boy, Spencer. It's a boy.
1: Well, of course, the females and Baby Yoda species are pink. What, else, what other color would they be?
0: Uh No, they're not. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. I am about to say, we have Yaddle, which, by the way, Yaddle gets no love here in a minute. I
1: Yaddle, I, Yaddle has been written out of canon, clearly. Yeah, that's strange.
0: Um, so Mando says Grogu. After she says this, he says Grogu as if testing testing Grogu. And Grogu looks at her and um, looks over at Mando cooing. This from Ahsoka. He was raised at the Jedi Temple at Coruscant. Many Masters trained him over the years. At the end of the Clone Wars, when the Empire rose to power, he was hidden. Someone took him from the Temple. Then his memory becomes dark. He seemed lost, alone. I've only known one other being like this. A wise Jedi Master named Yoda. No love for Yaddle. Ahsoka gives a very warm smile here at the memory of Yoda. And that tracks because... Yoda was all in, in every representation we've had of Yoda when he was on Coruscant and the the Jedi Temple was still there and, he, and the, the Jedi Order was still inhabiting the, the Jedi Temple. We got the earlier movies. We got the Clone Wars. We got Rebels to a certain extent. We got books. We've gotten comics and in every representation of jedi he was always warm to the pad ones Mm -hmm. he was always kind of prickly to the older jedi but he was very warm to the younglings but possibly even more than normal with ahsoka he Mm -hmm. always really liked ahsoka and i love that they threw in this little moment where when ahsoka evokes yoda's name yoda now five years dead she has this very warm smile as if remembering like somebody who was very, very important in her life. And I like that she ge- they gave us that little moment for Ahsoka for the fans to rem to, to say, Yeah, oh yeah, she remembers and she still loves Yoda because Yoda always loved her, loved it.
1: That's that's a wonderful scene. It's a wonderful moment just to see how much Yoda resonates with the people that were important to him. Mm-hmm. Also, just a thing to note here, and we should note it again before we're done, Rosario Dawson does great in this role. Yes. Actually. She brings yes. such a wonderful gravitas to this character, such a mix of moments of just warmth and regret all spiraled together as part, of this, as part of the history of this character. And it's something I mentioned before. It is really nice to see a mature Jedi of the Old Order on screen. I've been missing that. It, is a, it has been a while since we've had them, and she just does such a great job of representing it.
0: Completely agree. Ahsoka asks Mando if Grogu can still wield the force. (laughs) I love Mando. Mando's, whenever he's discussing the force, is like me discussing calculus when I was in high school. It's like (laughs) astonishingly stupid. He says, you mean his powers, Ahsoka. Very kindly. Mm -hmm. The force is what gives him his powers. It's an energy field created by all living things. To wield it takes a great deal of training, discipline. Mando, I've seen him do things I can't explain. My task was to bring him to a Jedi. This is the regret you're talking about. Yeah. This is the sadness in, in Ahsoka that Osara, Rosario Dawson taps into very, very quickly. The Jedi Order fell a long time ago. To back to Mando's, so did the Empire, but it still hunts him. He needs your help. Ahsoka thinks long and hard. Let him sleep. I'll test him in the morning.
1: Are we going to treat that? Test
0: in, like... him in the morning, Spencer? Yeah. Oh.
1: I know, I know. I am I was dying looking forward to that. i I'm mean, be very curious to see whether you divide that up into like four separate quotes or just one massive block quote for that entire wonderful scene.
0: Meet me in the morning, Spencer. It's going down. Going to test the force. We, going to we, test the force. Meet me in the morning.
1: And it, it even looks like we're in Dagobah. It looks like we're in the Dagobah swamp in some way, in some capacity right now. And I love that we're, we're having that kind of moment.
0: Oh, it's going down tomorrow morning. And whoop, we cut to next morning. Mando brings Grogu to Ahsoka. Mando sits Grogu down. Boy, it's going to be hard to keep uh, saying Grogu, not Baby Yoda. Ahsoka pulls out a rock. Grogu looks at it. Ahsoka uses the force to give Grogu the rock very slowly, if you'll notice. Mm -hmm. A lot of control here from Ahsoka. She just very slowly lets the rock drift over into Grogu's hand. Grogu, so cutely, lifts both hands up, catches it now return the stone to me Grogu. he doesn't understand he does <laughs> i yes. love that moment too this is because in this scene mando is very much the dad who is with the 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 child in front of the teacher and is jumping in like well no no hold on he doesn't understand and ahsoka completely dispels with that notion and says no he understands
1: yeah I, I love the i love your summary of the energy we're getting from mando here is it is very much the dad is watching his kid do his clarinet recital and is just trying to encourage and support him during these moments
0: he doesn't understand he does she says it's okay looking at Grogu. but grogo again looks at it and then just drops the drops the rock and really looks defeated and mando proud baby soccer dad sort of thing going on here uh-huh. um is sad for his kid ahsoka i sense much fear in you grogo looks up as if she's hit the nail on the head and ahsoka says he's hidden his abilities to survive over the years ahsoka says i want to try something else she goes on to explain that she wants to see if grogo will listen to mando Mando, that'll be a first. <laughs> Pretty funny there. Mm. Uh, even though, just like right earlier in the episode, he said, Grogu, go get in your seat. He said, Babe, you know, go get in your seat. And he did. Uh, but anyway, um, Ahsoka, I love first. Good or bad, they are always memorable. I loved, really the loved, really the like loved the quote. Loved the quote. Loved the quote. Loved, love, love. Mando, all right, kid, lift the stone. Ahsoka, Grogu. <laughs> <laughs> Mando, see, I told you he's stubborn So Mando's trying, to try, Mando's trying to convey this narrative that when Groku is not using the Force, he's being stubborn And Ahsoka is politely trying to explain to him that he has had incentive to hide his Force abilities And it's not necessarily him being stubborn It's that you're trying to get him to t- show a level of trust to use it
1: Right, you're, you're, you're tying back to a part of his history that he's had to actively hide to stay alive for years. This is yeah. a this you're really tapping into a very painful collection of memories here that you really you kind of need to be aware of, Mando. Right now, but this is a kid that has endured quite a bit to arrive at this given moment.
0: Mando says, "Grogu, do you want this? Well, go ahead. That's right. Take it. Come on, you can have it." And <laughs> Grogu, with a hell of a lot of force, <laughs> I'm good. Brings the ball over to his hand. And proud, baby, Uh, Daddy Mando does the everything but Tiger Woods fist pump here. He is so (laughs) happy for (laughs) his kid. And Ahsoka, he's formed a strong attachment to you. I cannot train him. His attachment to you makes him vulnerable to his fears, his anger. I've seen what such feelings can do in a fully trained Jedi Knight to the best of us. To the best of us. I will not start this child down that path. Better to let his abilities fade. To that, the entire fandom gives a Darth Vader esque no, no. We will not let his abilities fade. I do not like that idea at all. Although I do like the quote, and I like the sadness in her voice when she says, "To the best of us," obviously talking about her teacher, Anakin Skywalker. But let's get back to the most important part of this uh, whole quote here, Spencer. We cannot let Baby Yoda's whoop, Grogu. We cannot let Grogu's ability fade. What? No!
1: Ahsoka Tana would not be the first Jedi that has become so thoroughly jaded, so thoroughly beaten down that she's almost convinced that the uh, Jedi themselves need to fade away. It's pretty clear in my mind that she never really intended to train him or never really thought that she ever could be a physician or trusted herself enough to train him given her own history and her own series of losses that she has endured. But it's kind of sad to see her in the state to really just be so thoroughly damaged so thoroughly hurt by what has occurred in her own past that she doesn't think that there could be a future
0: i was like what like i I went am i i had such a like that that whole like is as um frenetic as my whole explanation of what the hell was going on there was probably hard to follow for people that's exactly how i was feeling during it because i was like listening to this i was like oh my god my heart was breaking first off i was upset that she said she wasn't gonna train him Mm -hmm. but then i was my heart was breaking and she was explaining like basically tying her reluctance to train him to what she saw happen to Anakin mm-hmm. because Anakin had this love and attachment for someone else that stopped him from, you know, being disciplined in the force and, and created these emotions of fear and resentment and anger. And then I went back to angry when she said, let his abilities fade. I don't know if there's anything that's been a more offensive concept to me in this entire fucking series than let his abilities fade. Are you kidding me?
1: And you are hearing this from your greatest hero.
0: Yeah, I know. But anyway, Ahsoka says she's got to get. But, but you see how I said, "Oh, anyway," because I'm never gonna be mad at Ahsoka. Never know what the fuck she does. <laughs> you need to come to terms does.
1: with Ahsoka. Even <clears throat> no, the best uh-uh. of us can let you down. Even no, the no, best no, no, no. of us can get out of the dark It's all path. good.
0: It's all good. It's the fact that she doesn't want it. Like I'm disappointed she doesn't want to train Grogu, but like I, it, I did not expect she was going to.
1: It makes perfect freaking sense for her. I mean, it, it, it is something that's really sad to see, but it's one of the examples of. It would be more surprising if she just jumped to the saying, Sure, I would happily do it. Girl's got baggage and it's baggage that is perfectly understandable. I'm not begrudging her in any way that she doesn't want to personally touch this. But I'm glad she's eventually able to find a way around her own personal reservations by the end.
0: Yep. Ahsoka says she has to get back. And as she's walking away, Amando says, the magistrate sent me to kill you. This gets Ahsoka's attention.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does.
0: Mando says he didn't agree to anything, but he says he'll help her with her problem if she sees to it that Grogu is properly trained. Mando willing to work for that tuition money for his boy. Mm-hmm. I like that. Like that. No free rides in the in the Mandalorian household. That's
1: <laughs> a wonderful description for what he's doing right here.
0: Mando gives the scouting report, and the magistrate has a small army of guards armed with <clears throat> A350 blaster rifles, rifles, two HK-7 assassin droids. Yep. Spencer... Woo!
1: HK droids, they're back. They're HK droids again. are
0: no fucking joke, ladies and gentlemen. Spencer, do you want to give a primer on HK droids?
1: HK, HK stands for hunter-killer. They are a long line of assassin droids going back thousands of years. They are well-established in the Legends lore. They've been brought back as gladiator bots, I think, in the canon, but this is the first time we've ever seen them explicitly referred to as assassin droids. This is Favreau again making Legends canon once more. And given... Woo how fascinating and deadly and dangerous HK droids have been in the war, including the famous HK-47 from thousands of years in the past. I am excited to see all the various fun moments that Faber keeps bringing back into the present.
0: Mm-hmm. hk seven assassin droids and a hired gunfighter. Lang. Mando says, I "Love
1: the different tone there. Well said."
0: Mando says, "Combined, not even your laser swords would be able to protect you from black
1: firepower." Bullshit!
0: <laughs> Bullshit! So, a couple things here. One, I don't. First, I don't think that's true. I think that if, I think that this whole prospect of her teaming up with Mando, she's doing because she likes Mando. I think I think from what she knows of him, she likes. I imagine that when she was communicating with Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda gave a strong, strong character reference.
1: Don't hurt for my Mando. daddy. Uh,
0: very strong character reference for Mando, which probably ingratiated Ahsoka to Mando. But I think that she's working with Mando not because she needs to. I think when she told the magistrate, "You have a day," the magistrate had a day. Right. And she was coming hell or high water, and my God, she was bringing hellfire with her. Spencer Ahsoka was going to climb the walls of that city and kick everybody's ass, but she's she's working with Mando because I think she wants to see where that story goes, and she actually respects him
1: very much. So I think she I think she modified her plan to accommodate Mando, and Mando helps particularly with making it easier to protect the the civilian populace that are inside the city. But I, t- I totally am with you that she had a plan and she was going to execute it by which everyone that opposed her was going to fall. I have no doubts about that whatsoever. I think, if anything, Mando's appearance gave her the opportunity to do it in a way that she would have preferred rather than a way that would have been necessary.
0: Right. I also love that Mando says your laser swords yet again. Yeah. Whenever yes. Man- Mando is not a dumb guy, as I have explained to everybody before, he is the Pete Buttigieg of the bounty hunters at the Star Wars universe. He speaks every damn language. He's a smart guy. He uh, intuits a lot, but whenever he's talking about the Force, the Jedi, anything in that realm, he sounds like a proper idiot.
1: I mean, you have to remember, this guy was born and raised inside of a cult. He's had a very limited education. (laughs) He's just now getting exposed to the world. Children of the Uh, Watchmen. It it is... It's like... Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a Star Wars retelling of unorthodox here that we're having to work, work, work with here. you got to give him time so he can adjust to the broader knowledge of the universe.
0: Mando says she offered him a staff of pure Beskar. It's a killer. Ahsoka seems amused by this. Ahsoka then goes on to explain, Morgan Elsbeth, during the Clone Wars, her people were massacred. She survived and let her anger fuel an industry that helped build the Imperial Starfleet. What a bitch she is. I don't like that. She plundered worlds, destroying them in the process. Now, I like this for a couple of reasons. One, Morgan Elsbeth, this is not a character that Dave is, or that, that John Favre is writing. I mean, this is somebody who's come up in previous lore in the Star Wars canon. I like the backstory about how, you know, like so many people tied to the Empire, she had some wrong, some thing, some trauma in her life that let anger seep in. She used that anger, fueled it for bad. But I also like that we're getting a little bit of logistics about how the hell the Imperial Starfleet was ever built because, my God, it is massive. And obviously, in order to create it, uh, is something the movies don't go into, but the books do a really good job of, especially the EU, you had to strip, like, solar systems. <laughs> when you're seeing these big Imperial Star Destroyers, one, two, three, four at a time, it took a lot of planets, uh, you know, resources to build this.
1: And I'm guessing this means, if we're tying it back to like, I don't know if this is Canada anymore. This is, again, the difficulty I have. I'm guessing that she was working affiliated with with, with the Caught Drives Yards, which was famous for building the thousands of Imperial Star Destroyers we have eventually gracing the, gracing the Star Wars galaxy. But, like you said, it is something that's logistics is something star wars never heavily goes into and you now getting a bit of a, a hint of that and the devastation that clearly resulted from it is a nice addition to the star wars lore because it's been a clear absence in the past
0: yeah when when ahsoka says she plunders worlds destroys them in the process mando looks around and says looks like she's still in business good line for mando ahsoka asks about prisoners in the village mando says he saw three ahsoka says they must free them mando great line here great 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 line here a Mandalorian and a Jetta? They'll never see it coming.
1: That that line is so tongue-in-cheek. That line is just so winking at the fandom. It's great, yes.
0: Phenomenal. Cut to nightfall at the gate. Ominous music playing here. Sounds almost like an organ. I don't think it's an organ. I think it's like, probably like a like a keyboard-type like type sound. It's electric sound, but it, it, it kind of evokes the sound of an organ. At the top of the wall, the guards are hitting the drums. They look into the mist. No tentacles, Spencer. No tentacles in this mist, <laughs> but there is something dangerous in it nonetheless. And they do see Ahsoka. It's here. Sound the alarm. One thing is for sure: Ahsoka has these fools shook. Spencer, do you think they are primarily scared of her because of the ability she's shown, picking them off? What they have seen in front of their face, or do you think it's because of the reputation of the Jedi? Because the magistrate did refer to her as a Jedi. So that within earshot of the guards, um, which one do you think it is?
1: All of the above, but I think the Jedi and their reputation is probably informing all of it because they've seen what she can do. But with a Jedi, they have no real concept what she's capable of other than what they heard as bedtime stories as children.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, back to the recap. <clears throat> the guard are shooting into the mist, still no tentacles, and sounding the gong. <laughs> as they are shooting, Ahsoka appears on the wall and royally t- royally kicks everybody's ass up in there, finally slicing the last guy. At the same time, she slashes the gong, really cool effect there two birds one stone inside the village ahsoka appears on one side of the street and the magistrate appears with all her firepower on the other side of the street spencer it's the shootout at the okay corral
1: yeah and ju- just a, a couple a couple notes on that point one thing i loved about ahsoka taking the wall just effortlessly is that one of the guards surrendered to her and she just smiled and let him go i like yeah, that addition. she did I like that little note that again, this is a Jedi we're seeing fight there now. She may not be affiliated with the order, she may not have been a, may not have ever been a Jedi Knight, but this is a light side wielder of the force who is merely trying to accomplish a goal and stop people. She's not here for the sake of bloodshed and murder.
0: And she she does the guy kind of gives a hint like he might fight and she gives him a look like really and then he takes off. There's a yeah. kind of a little bit of a comedy scene there too.
1: Yeah, but I I really like that gesture. So often we see in a, a lot of modern action lore that the heroes just kind of casually just slaughter their way through thousands of people. So little moments of mercy like that. I appreciate that that, that kind of appearance. Also, just a I want I love, love the that you the okay corral because I want to bring this up. One of the movies you've had us watch on one of our other channels was Tombstone. Yep. It's a great movie. Did you note that Michael Bean is the main villain in Tombstone?
0: Yeah, yeah. So what is I, he? Uh, he's um,
1: the, not, uh, Billy the Kid, right? I, don't, I, don't, I did not write down this character's name in that. He's one he's, of the cowboys he's, he's that are Billy the opposed, Kid, I think. Yeah, he's one of the cowboys that's opposed to Wyatt Earp's mm-hmm. gang. And so I, I like I like your reference there, and I like the, the kind of gunslinger role he's playing, working off that here too.
0: Ahsoka begins a boss-like slow walk toward the Magistrate. She stops about 15 feet in front of them, throws a piece of Mando's armor toward her. Your bounty hunter failed. Tell me what I want to know. Where is your master? Ooh, Spencer, where's your master? Where's my master? <laughs> magistrate gives the order to kill, and when she does, Ahsoka jumps onto a building and uses her lightsabers to fight, it and fight off an awful lot of blaster fire here. Um, probably three or four... Blaster is going at one time and she fights them all off. Mm-hmm. Soka then takes off. The magistrate gives the order to kill the prisoners and then, whoo, up above, is it a bird? It's a plane? No, it's the Mandalorian's music. Mando flies in and starts picking off the guards. He points his gun toward the same villager who talked to him earlier and lowers his guns and they walk off together. So I like that um, they had no, no, I mean, like, they would never have guessed that Mando was working with her and then she to boot throws the little you know piece of his armor in like she killed him mm-hmm. type thing completely surprises everybody here but i also like that they are establishing this character this this local guy here who like is kind of seeing what's happening and, and is choosing to help mando in this
1: moment very much so um from a tactical standpoint i think we get a a a bit of a tactical error that occurs in the behalf of the bad guys here is that at that one moment where they're having that okay okay corral standoff where we have the prisoners that are right next to them, they're at their strongest. They've got a bit of a token here by which they can reasonably assume the other side isn't gonna move against them as long as these guys are under threat. But when Ashoka kind of pr- I think it's a purposeful decision on Ashoka's part, of where she gets their gar- she gets them pissed, she gets them scared, and then she starts moving away from that area as fast as she can which seems to successfully draw them off to pursue her in a way that is dumb, Mm -hmm. but I think it's an intentional part of their plan that works rather than just a villain inherently just behaving dumb on their own part.
0: Agreed. Then we get a great cat and mouse sequence through the streets of the village with Ahsoka picking folks off and sort of appearing out of nowhere at times. We get one great scene where some guard is walking and Ahsoka appears behind them, powers up her lightsabers, like, at the same time, like, and you get, like, a chest-level shot where you're seeing her face as mm-hmm. she lights up the, the the lightsabers. Really cool there. Presumably before she kindly removes their heads from their shoulders. I don't, we don't see what happens, but it looks like she's probably going to kill them.
1: Very bad boobus.
0: Uh, Yeah, bad boo-boo there. Magistrate, um, number two, um, then walks through the, the streets and sees a bunch of dead bodies. Hears a lightsaber spark. Turns around, starts firing, Ahsoka jumps up. Disarms him before two HK droids attack her. Ahsoka slices one in half. Boom! That didn't take long. Mm-hmm. And the other droid jumps up onto the roof to follow her. Impressed by how quickly she was able to kill an HK droid. <laughs>
1: Woo! Well, <laughs> I just kind of pieces out. I love that.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. Um, cut back to Mando, and he tells the villagers to go inside. Then we have another stare down at the OK Corral between Mando and the head guard. The head guard then starts a series of dialogue that I found pretty funny. Um, he says, so you threw in with the Jedi. Mando looks that way.
1: I, I really like the exchange from these two characters as people operating in a similar role in society, kind of deciding how much they want to push the issue of that job. And I, I, th- I think the even says at one point, it says, um, you and I were a lot alike, willing to lay our lives down for the right cause, which this is not. And I really liked that moment. And I'm almost mm-hmm. disappointed they didn't keep going with it. I really yeah. would appreciate if this character actually took that path just because of how rare it is to see it in these kind of films of where you see a guy just go, I'm out. This isn't worth dying for. I'm done.
0: I thought they were going to go that way with I, it.
1: I, I would have really preferred if they did. I'm getting kind of tired of people committing suicide by Mandalorian when it's obvious they're going to lose and obvious they're going to die, just seemingly out of pride, but they went that route. And I, it was a disappointing waste of a character for somebody played by Michael Bean, I felt.
0: Yeah, or Lang. Inside the magistrate's compound, the magistrate is standing on a walkway, looks up and sees Ahsoka. Ahsoka walks forward a little bit and they square off for the outer rim. By the way, championship of the world! And the magistrate... Removes her overcoat and then arms herself with the Beskar steel spear. Smart move there, obviously, as we've mm. established. Uh, Ahsoka approaches with both lightsabers out and the buildings, and we are off. Magistrate attacks first. And Ahsoka parries the blow. They back up and prowl a little bit after that. That kind of reminds me a little bit of episode one, Darth Maul, right? The
1: Definitely prowling,
0: that- the prowling after like they, they go at they go at it a little bit and then they stop and prowl, you know. Uh,
1: uh, that was fun. <laughs> I think we can possibly agree that one of the best parts of episode one was Darth Maul, and that kind of characterization of that constant tension bubbling under the surface and like a cat stalking around his opponent as he's fighting was a wonderful thing that was nice to see brought up here, too. One note, I referenced this previously, but I'm curious as to your thoughts. We do not see Ahsoka use force powers once in this fight. Do you think that is a conscious decision to give her opponent a fair fight and meet her on equal terms? Or what?
0: No, I just think that there was no need to use it, really. I mean, she was having a pretty straightforward duel. I mean, I guess she could have done like a force jump, but like, I'm not sure what thing else she could have done um, to the use lights, the force.
1: Pulled the lightsaber out of her hands, done, you don't want to fight me, Jedi Mind Wipe. There's any number of things she could have done. Well, no,
0: I mean, we, we, we well, I, I see what you're saying, but we could reasonably assume that this is a pretty strong minded person that she's dealing with. So the things like, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for. Probably it's not going to work here.
1: It's possible. It's possible. Um, I I I would find it a bit of an oversight that we don't see her just even like use the force to draw back her own lightsaber when it falls in the water. Yeah, I guess she
0: could have done that, but I mean, she was still, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think she, I never took that losing that one lightsaber as like, Oh God, I'm about to lose the, fucking fight situation
1: no which is again i'm trying to i'm trying to to explain this in my mind i'm kind of assigning it in the same light as the the fight that she had with uh, Mando, of where it seems that she's wanting to people that are worthy of a fair fight she wants to give a fair fight and beat them on those terms maybe that's happening maybe it isn't but it certainly seems like it plays out that way
0: Cut back to uh, Mando and Lang and the head guard. Um, see, I already forgot his name. In that sequence, in that, in that, that quick. It's how quick. I forgot it. it. Says, "Who do you think is going to win?" That'd be your side. I, I, it's They're good banter here. It's good banter <laughs> as,
1: as they just listen into the fight, pondering what's going to
0: mm-hmm. occur. Ahsoka and the magistrate continue to fight. Round one, round two, round three. You hear their grunts in the background, and the magistrate is very much a worthy competitor here, more so than I ever would have thought. Uh, and when we started this, this episode back to the guard who tells Mando, he has no quarrel with him back to Ahsoka and the magistrate in round four, the magistrate lands an overhand and knocks one of Ahsoka's lightsabers away. It's what you referenced earlier. Ahsoka gathers herself, goes back in with this sort of the, the, the fucking really brutal move of just holding one lightsaber out and just inching forward and forward and forward um, eventually um, gets into a parrying uh, sort of attack and disarms the magistrate. Back outside, the, anything you want to say here? No. no. Uh, back outside, the guard says, looks like you win. Damn right. Who bets against Ahsoka, Spencer? Who bets a cent against Ahsoka Tanu? Not this guy. The guard goes on to put his gun down and then tries to sucker shoot Mando before Mando ends him. Now, I am with you here. Do not like that the guy tried to pick the, the gun back up. I would have loved it if he'd have put the gun down and ran away.
1: With how powerful they've made Mandalorians at, not just, you know, what we've seen, but what clearly everybody knows, they need to have people stop just committing suicide with them. Like all those Quarrens back on Trask. Did they think for an instant they were going to survive fighting Mando? Same thing with this guy. You're putting your gun on the ground. Now is there something going to try to surprise him? A guy that you should know at this point, is basically immune to blaster bolts. I don't understand it. I think it's kind of a dumb writing choice on their part to have the guy guy that was, they were having such a great moment of showing him as an intelligent, experienced campaigner that's not here to just die for a cause. And they just completely reverse it. it. It was a poor, I think it was a poor writing decision.
0: Back to Ahsoka, who has a lightsaber to the magistrate's throat. Now tell me, Where is your master? Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? (laughs) Spencer. (laughs) Hold on, I need
1: a cigarette. You've had your moment. The greatest of all the Legends characters. I mean, he's in, correct me if I'm wrong, he's in Star Wars Rebels, right?
0: So, let me pause here. This is a guy who is in Rebels, and he is in modern canon books now. You, being the EU connoisseur that you are, the scholar of the EU universe, Spencer, please give us a primer on Grand Admiral Thrawn.
1: Just in brief, because you could even even probably tell me more given your absolute love of this section of the, I would almost say early EU. This was some like the first major novels that kind of came out that were just really successful in doing the expanded universe. Well, Grand Admiral Thrawn was just an example of ability over appearance in that he was one of the few non-human members of the empire that rose to high rank of where he became one of the admirals of the outer rim fleets that was expanding imperial influence out there. Um, and so was away at the time that uh, the battle of Endor and the fall of the empire. By the time he returned, he was one of the last few organized groups that was still left. His fleet was intact. He had a remarkable amount of resources and he served as a rallying point for the imperial remnants. One of the most dangerous moments for the new Republic when it was still getting established about Actually, really about right now-ish in terms of the war. If you go back to the canon lore, about five to seven years after the Battle of Endor, he probably came closer to anybody, particularly in this period, to actually successfully defeating the New Republic. He was an unrivaled tactician and strategist, regularly beating the best that the New Republic could throw against him. And got really damn close to even possibly serving as a not only significant adversary, but maybe even outright winning. Until he was ultimately betrayed from within, and with his loss, with all of the Imperial remnants really doubling down on serving his cause when he was defeated, and the New Republic was able to successfully defeat his fleet with his loss, it left the Imperial remnants thoroughly crippled for years to come, in a way that allowed the New Republic, what was being rapidly brought down to its worst moment in dealing with this utterly brilliant opponent, to solidify and establish itself as a legitimate galaxy-spanning presence in a way that it was still struggling to do up to that point. But... Yeah, he's a fascinating character. He's regularly regarded as one of the best characters in the legend's lore from his intelligence, from his ability, from the sense of honor that wraps him up, from being a legitimate, credible, honorable, lawful, but ultimately serving evil cause villain in a way that was just really expertly done. And so I am utterly excited to see more of him explored in the canon.
0: Okay, so everything he just told you about Grand Admiral Thrawn, uh, toss it. Oh come on! Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry to do that. Uh, we you don't yeah, know this.
1: We, you but, don't know this. It could still come up now.
0: No, no, no. We do. I, I do know it because I've read. I've read the Thrawn book. Um, the, and and it's the reintroduction of this character into the new canon, and I they, the way they introduce him, I, it's going to be very different. Um, but I I wanted to throw it to you because I wanted folks who are listening who probably haven't read the Legends books to get a sense of just how how much they fleshed out his story in the Legends canon I mean they were probably mm-hmm. writing books about Grand Admiral Thrawn for what Spencer 15 years 20 years
1: and they've kept writing about him even since I mean they Grand Admiral Thrawn was just so important for so many of Star Wars fans that really got into the books through him that they kept on finding ways to work him in even to books that were like dealing with periods long after his death like you know connecting his reasons and motivations to things that were modern occurring so as to just always keep him part of Star Wars fans' minds. He was just that important and that popular.
0: So in the modern canon, Grand Admiral Thrawn is a Chiss. Important to note because, and, and I'm, I'm not saying this is different than the Legends canon. Legends. I'm,
1: that, that just, is explaining, a, I'm blue, just explaining
0: what it is in the yep. yeah in the Commander canon. Yeah, He's blue red
1: eyed humanoid. So people have yeah, the
0: visual. blue red eyed humanoid named Chiss. His real name is Mithra Neurodo. Um, that's a mouthful. Mithra Neurodo. For those oh. keeping the score at home
1: aka thrawn thank you let's keep it yeah <laughs> well I,
0: I, in the modern canon uh whenever he interacts with um the emperor the emperor calls him mithra Narodo. he calls him by his his native name mm. his just name and in the modern canon he is introduced because he has been exiled uh, by his own people Uh, Because he used to lead his own people to Chiss. And he started to support preemptive attacks. Little drone strike situation. Mm. And they cast him out for that. And the Empire picked him up. Gave him title and rank. And off he went. And his story is still being written in the new canon. But we do know that um, he does collect what is left of the uh, Imperial fleet after the, the death of... The quote, death of the emperor. We all know. He, yes, he died, but he kind of came back. But anyway, the the, the defeat of the uh, of the emperor and Darth Vader and the Death Star 2 on in and the Battle of Endor, he kind of collects what's left. And by the time that the Mandalorian is is starting, so five years after Return of the Jedi, he is in firm control of the Empire, Imperial Fleet, of what's left of the Empire. And so this begs the question, one million dollar question, Spencer. You'd get no lifeline. You don't get to pull the audience, but I'm going to throw it to you. Big question here. Is Moff Gideon working for Grand Admiral Thrawn?
1: I don't think so. I think Moth Gideon is very much reading, leading his own faction separate from Grand Admiral Thrawn. I'm ready to be proven wrong on that, but it does, it, in my mind it doesn't seem in keeping that Moth Gideon would be following anybody else. I think he has his own vision and his own goals. We will find out, though. But I think it's very apparent that a lot of the legend storyline with, with respect to Thrawn's return may now be entering into the canon. We will see how that plays out, too.
0: Okay. We don't know. This is, not a th- this is not a thing where the next episode tells us or something. This is me and Spencer absolutely just guessing based on what we know about Grand Admiral Thrawn, based on what we know about Moff Gideon, both in the EU and the current canon. We're just guessing here. Spencer says hard no on the Moff Gideon working directly for Grand Admiral Thrawn question. And I am going to say yes. I, I think he is.
1: I, I have not seen the modern characterization of Thrawn, but I would see him be thoroughly... Th- frustrated and annoyed with somebody like Gideon. The traditional Imperial that just wastes resources and wastes lives casually was something that Thrawn never embodied. This is a guy who started putting shield generators on TIE fighters so he could keep his men alive longer because he knew how valuable they were. It's part of the reason they fought so loyally for him was how much he cared for the troops under his command. Gideon does not embody those values. He very much embodies the Imperial wasteral kind of mindset that even more professional Imperial officers during the proper empire were frustrated with. So, at a minimum I would expect him to butt a massive amount of hits based on just that kind of philosophy alone
0: see I, I don't I think he's fr- I think all the things you said are absolutely true but I still think he's working for him but I don't know I, we'll, I'm just guessing
1: we will find out
0: cut to, hopefully cut to the next day ahsoka and Mando walk out of the village but you can hear the crowd cheering in the background and we see they make the it looks like they make the guy that Mando was interacting with the new magistrate is that what you picked up
1: yes very much so.
0: Cool. So presumably, Ahsoka
1: did kill that lady. Ahsoka, uh, had... I'm not as certain about that. I well, don't. What the hell? Where do you? Where did you put him? I, where it, is she? At the very least, she is out of power. But if we don't see her die, this is Star Wars. We have no certainty that she is dead. Nor, nor it also was very much a tenet of the of the Jedi code not to execute prisoners. So I would be surprised.
0: Well. We you're, but I said, presumably, so I'm still, I'm still saying, I think we're meant to assume that the lady died. You're saying you don't, you don't think she did, but I I mean, I, I don't know. It, we piece it, it together. Yeah. It looks like she did. I am just trying to posit here that if we're meant to believe that the lady died, that is yet more evidence that Ahsoka has gotten darker over time. I think that they're setting that up. I think that we're going to see Ahsoka again, either in this series or another standalone Um, live action series around the Rosario Dawson playing Ahsoka. And I think they're setting up for a different Ahsoka than what we knew. Because the Ahsoka that we knew was in Clone Wars was always the one that was yelling at Anakin and Obi-Wan and Mace Windu, don't kill him, don't hurt him, don't you like that? She was always that voice. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I don't think she's that anymore. I'm not saying she's evil or by any stretch of the imagination. I just think she's gotten darker over time.
1: It's it's possible and there's a lot of ways they could show that But it would seem gratuitous and unnecessary in this case She got the information she wanted The person has surrendered She's no longer in a position of power to be a threat Just drop her off with the new republic authorities
0: You're assuming that she's in contact With the new republic authorities I don't think so I'm being totally honest here I got the impression she was off on her fucking own and she's got it out for Grand Admiral Thrawn for mm-hmm. whatever reason. I don't think she's working with anybody. I
1: could be all, wrong. It's also perfectly possible that she essentially left her to the village itself. Just let the new magistrate decide her fate is, is, a, is a proper criminal punishment. Which would, back, that's another way. Whatever the like way that. we interpret this, we do not see said character again this episode.
0: Yeah. Um, that would that would be pretty cool. But, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe this isn't the... Best example of it, but we get other examples up in the episode, but she's darker and she's more willing to kill than she used to be. Uh,
1: Unquestionably. I very much agree with that interpretation. I think they're going to go more with that as she's become a mature and ultimately weathered person from when we uh, saw her more back in the Clone Wars.
0: Ahsoka tries to give the Beskar staff to Mando and he won't accept it until she says this belongs with a Mandalorian. And of course that argument is going to work with Mando and he takes it. Ahsoka, where is your little friend? Mando, back at the ship. Wait here. I will go get him. Can a you, modified mandalorian theme place here with much more bells, much more medieval and celebratory. I think here, Mando thinks that he's going to say goodbye to Grogu for the rest of his life.
1: Can you hear the regret? Can you see the slumped shoulders? This is not a guy that is happy with the decision he's about to make but feels bound to do.
0: Walks into his ship to an incredibly cute and sleeping Grogu, and he says, wake up, buddy. It's time to say goodbye, meaning me and you have to say goodbye. And he sits Grogu up on, his, up on his knee and like has this conversation with him that we don't get to hear. But like he's clearly saying goodbye and he walks off the ship. And uh, I think in that moment, you know, Mando's probably crying underneath the helmet. I think there's some tears going. We don't Just see it. Just a few. Ahsoka, you're like a father to him. Beat, beat. I cannot train him. Mando, you made me a promise and I held up my end. Mando, very big into the promises. Very big up into the holding his end. Very, very, very big into that. I hold up my end, you hold up your end. This is this is the Mando Creed. Ahsoka, there is the one possibility. Go to the planet Tython. <gasps> there you will find the ancient ruins of a temple that has a strong connection to the Force. Place Grogu on the stone at the top of the mountain. And then what? Then Grogu can choose his path. If he reaches out through the Force, there is a chance a Jedi might sense his presence and come searching for him. Then again, there aren't many Jedi left. Mando, thank you. Ahsoka, may the Force be with you. Okay, Tython. I feel like I feel like this is like the most academic of the Mangum Talks TV uh, episodes, and and this include this Mangum Talks TV includes when we did Chernobyl, and I feel like this might even be approaching <laughs> that level of academic no. because I feel like we're <laughs> having to stop every twenty minutes and go, okay, here's the backstory. Uh,
1: Spencer, sorry. oh sorry, were you queuing me to get backstory?
0: Yeah, well, you if you want to talk about Tython. sure. Um, I mean, I.
1: I could talk about it from Legends, and I double-checked it to see that some of it is still true for the canon, too. But Tython is an almost mystical place when it comes to the Legends history of the Force. It is quite possibly the origins of some of the first study of the Force. It is the origins of the predecessors and ultimately the Jedi Order. It is a place that is wrapped up in myth and legend and lost for long periods in time as the planet was ultimately abandoned. It appears at countless moments in the Star Wars lore, sometimes thousands of years apart, because it is a place that has really got a reputation of being haunted and cursed and damaged due to its history. In the modern canon, it is the place where I believe the first Jedi Temple was ultimately built. So either way you want to swing it, this is a place that is foundational in the Force. And to go back to the heart of it, it's also notable how far away this place is. We've spent, I think it's fair to say we've spent pretty much all of our time on The Mandalorian in the Outer Rim, Tython is old enough that it is in the deep core of the galaxy, like the other side of freaking God form where we, where we currently are. Um, and so to have that kind of just ancient magical place steeped in legend be referenced as a going reference right now, is almost like just going back to the heart of the forest to find a new path forward.
0: Now, Spencer, question for you. Do you, th- no, so I love that they keep pulling in these little things of legends and kind of like, remaking them in their own image. Do you think it's a smart move to make this planet Tython? I mean, I... cause they could have just cooked up any other planet and then you wouldn't have that sort of like shared history in the EU of what Tython is and kind of muddy the waters of it. Right.
1: Yeah. I'm with you there. Uh, particularly even just the fact they make them the deep core, which leads to me a bit of a frustrating moment in the next episode. They don't reference how far away these things are. But yeah, if, you, if you're if you going to name drop some place that is this storied in the lore, that has baggage. That has difficulties that I just don't feel are necessary or ultimately done much justice, particularly in the episode where you get to see Tython going forward. So there's a lot of other ways they could have swung this. The reference to Tython you know, gave us a bit of a fanservice-y moment, but I don't think they ultimately do enough with it given how storied that place ultimately is.
0: Yeah, I just don't. I just think this is... There, there comes a point where it's like, let the Legends canon li- exist. You don't have to pull in everything from Legends and do 60% of it, therefore confusing the fuck out of everybody who ever read Legends and is like you, like now trying to keep track of what's going on now. Like, I just think they could have created another planet. But anyway, that... that it, whatever.
1: We've gotten into you and I have gotten into countless fights before about to what degree nostalgia informs Star Wars and to what degree it could ever operate independently from that. And we like we argued with respect to the last Jedi, the most non-Star Warsy of Star Wars films, to what degree were Star Wars fans okay with getting away from the lore they grew up with, from getting away from the trends and the customs and the motifs that they that they so often associate with Star Wars. And I think it's a difficult thing for the fandom I think they almost feel they need to constantly give these kind of fan service references for fear that Star Wars fans will start to rebel.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because you also do have one thing to consider, though, is you also do have a whole crop of folks who came up when The Force Awakens, when they were like eight with The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. you know, who like Rey and Finn are just as big to them as like Luke and Han. It's true. And they don't give it. They don't give a rat's ass about the EU, right? So, like, you still have like some percentage of them where you, you know you really could create an entire new planet here, and it would be no worse for wear. So, I, I don't know what the right answer is. I probably, in this specific instance, would have not, drawn upon the Legends EU canon, but that's just me. Mando walks back into his ship, and Ahsoka gives a knowing smile to Grogu. She watches as the Razor Crest flies away. And we get a very dramatic orchestral music here ending with a drum beat as Ahsoka walks back into the mist. The episode ending the same way it began. Ahsoka coming out of the mist. Ahsoka going back into the mist. Cut. End of episode. And bravo. Thank you, Dave Filoni. Wherever you are, sir. I want to pick up your bar tab. I want to buy you a meal. Oh, God. I loved it. Dave Dave killed this episode. I know there's some things maybe you didn't like that much about it, Spencer, but can we agree that this is, is it, this is at the tippy top of episodes for this series?
1: This is a very fine episode. I, I have some quibbles, which I think we, we should address now before we get into our segments, but the the focus of this episode is pristine and it gives me some of the best things I like about Star Wars. And it was a delight to see it put on the screen. It's a gutsy thing to put it on the screen. Do to introduce somebody like Sokotanda to live action with as popular as she is in the fandom, to name-drop Thrawn and connect that into the broader Legends lore, these are big gestures and big moments, and again, just shows how confident the show has gotten that it's not... No, no, no. We're not operating on the peripheral of the Star Wars universe anymore. We're not just living in the Outer Rim. We are getting into the mainline canon by which the entire galaxy runs, and mm-hmm. you can count on us to run with it. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. All right. Well, uh, that is the recap of the episode. I'm going to give it a 9.8 out of 10 for me. Uh, this is one where we've, we've tracked that as the season got going, I have started to watch the episodes earlier and earlier on Friday mornings when they get released. This one, I watched probably at like a seven o'clock in the morning. Um, and watched again later that day, watched again on Saturday, probably again on Sunday. I was so wrapped up in this episode. I loved it. I think I tech, I I, I can, as we're talking, I can go back to my text history with you. I think it was something along the lines of, all caps, oh my God, Mandalorian. Oh my God, oh my God.
1: Yes, that, I can pull up the exact quote, but it was definitely very similar <laughs> to that.
0: <laughs> so I was very, very happy with it. Spencer, I'm going to give you the floor to talk any quibbles you have with it, any issues you have well, before you, we are going to jump into I, our segment.
1: mean, I've, I've discussed some of my quibbles over the course of the episode. I, I some of those are long-term with some things they've been doing with Beskar. I felt like they ultimately yeah. wasted the character of Lang. I have some questions about having to you know, do a little bit of uh, rewriting in the canon in, in my mind to justify some of the things they did with framing certain scenes, but it's not too much of an effort there. I think my biggest complaint with this episode, though, is that there's enough material here that they could have made two more successful episodes than one compressed one is that as a result of focusing on the things they really do need to focus on with the wonderful scenes of Ashoka and Baby Yoda and Mando interacting.
0: Can we stop with how you... How do you pronounce
1: Ahsoka? I'm I'm moving the H to the wrong place. Ahsoka. I'm, I'm, I'm pronouncing Ahsoka. Ahsoka, sorry.
0: Okay, all right. I was just making sure I'm not going crazy.
1: No, I, I was just pronouncing it wrong. Um, all right. All those right. are wonderful scenes. Some of the best they've ever done in Mandalorian. They're great. They bring us back some wonderful moments like Empire Strikes Back. Focus. They could have done... If they had divided this up in two episodes, we could have gotten that, even expanded on it a bit more, and we could have made the B-plot, the village, the whole thing with the, with the Imperial Magistrate and all everything else going on with that, have a lot more emphasis and a lot more time to develop than it ever got. Because as it stands, it is really token. We never really find out much about what is going on there in a way that seems like it could have been interesting and better developed. But by taking a lot of material and condensing it down to 45 minutes, as much as successful as it is, I feel like there's casualties of that in a way that a lot of the B-plot, a lot of the reasons by which anybody's here, a lot of what's going on with the villagers is really given nothing much more than of a, a surface look. And whether there's enough you could have expanded this to make two episodes or not, I think there could have been. They didn't go that route. Um, and so for me, with that and the quibbles, I would still give it give it a 90. I'll give it a 90. An A minus, maybe a B plus. I think it's a very solid episode. I think it succeeds on its top half. And it's what it wants to focus on more than it does on some of the rest. But where it succeeds is just magical and really great.
0: I give it an A plus, but I will not disagree that I would have enjoyed this being two episodes i mean if I, I could have done 45 straight minutes of grogu moving that damn stone around i really um, I really, awesome to see that 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 interaction with ahsoka where she's kind of teaching mando a little bit about the Force and testing grogu's ability with the force and you see grogu kind of starting to trust her a little bit more and use his force powers we could have dealt with a much longer scene there
1: it, i i very much agree if you'd made this like a proper a scene in empire strikes back you know a a a slow Star Wars scene of just characters interacting, of exploring the force. That would have been so great. And they could have done that. They could have, they had some wonderful characters, some wonderful reactions. They could have expanded on more, but it would have required either an hour long episode, which they don't seem to want to do very much, or dividing it into two.
0: Spencer, how cool would it have been if here? So what would you, what would you have done here? If this has happened? So, Mando goes, okay, Grogu, move the, get the stone, Grogu, get the get the ball, move, Grogu, get, get, come again, and, Grogu, whoosh, he gets it. And then Ahsoka points at the razor's crest and goes, okay,
1: now oh, move that. Oh, God. Oh, man, that would have been great. Oh, be that, Wouldn't that pro- have been awesome? A callback back to, Yo-
0: yeah, exactly. Yoda telling Luke to move the X-Wing. If she did the point at the razor's crest, okay, now move that. Um, Fangasm 101, I mean, we would have lost our fucking minds. Yeah.
1: They had not I guess that's my almost my biggest complaint about this episode is it had so many great pieces, but because of the time frame, they didn't necessarily develop them as far as they could have just because of how great they were.
0: yeah, but i I loved it. I mean, getting to see Ahsoka is so exciting. Now one thing I will share with everybody here. I don't know if people are online quite as much as I am, but, the reaction, the fan reaction to Rosario Dawson was so universally positive as, as Ahsoka, which is a really tough thing to do because you have a character that has never been portrayed in live action ever, never been on the screen, and has the almost like mythical powers at this point in the fandom. Loved, I mean, up there, it's probably a top five character Star Wars of all time if you polled people. And for her to portray Ahsoka... And for everybody to universally say it was good, Disney took note, my friend, and they immediately put into development a potential live-action series around Ahsoka starring Rosario Dawson. This has not been piloted, this has not been written, it's been in it's in development, which mm-hmm. in Hollywood speak basically means we're thinking about it, guys. But they're thinking about it, guys, and that's pretty exciting.
1: It's, it, they're thinking about it. It could be years in the future or, as you said, never happen. We're very much in the preliminary stages of, try, of them trying to work out whether it could work. And it could. They'll need to be careful with it. This is the kind of series of where they need to remember that Jedi are not Marvel superheroes, when a way Disney also owns the license for and may be inclined to push but if they if they stick to the characterization that we've gotten in the in the Star Wars uh, Clone Wars and Rebels, if they stick to the developments they've shown here and the real wonderful feeling we get out of Rosaria Dawson with respect to how she's portrayed the character, there's a lot they could accomplish. There's a lot this character is clearly done off screen that would be fun to explore and fun to see where she goes from here. Um, I just, it's just something they need to be really careful with, because with how popular Ashoka Tano is, uh, sorry, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to say, I, actually, I think I did it right that. Up. I think I actually You kind
0: of You you did it both wrong and right. You said Ashoka. Uh,
1: Ashoka ah, Tano. <laughs> I'm going to get it right eventually. Um,
0: you did it both that time.
1: <laughs> with how popular she is. It is a bit of a hand... It is a bit of a landmine. It's a bit of a hand grenade because you have to do it justice. Otherwise, you have a full-fledged fan revolt on your hands. What? They feel well, like you're doing disservice to a character, that character.
0: But, they, I mean, they got stones over at Disney because they're also doing a live-action Ewan McGregor bringing back the Obi-Wan character from the prequels, which, you know, you I know you, what you thought of the prequels. I actually kind of like the prequels. I rewatched them every year. I, I actually kind of liked them. But... The fandom, by and large, said there were some positives in it, even though the fandom, I think, mostly didn't like the prequels. And Ewan McGregor got nothing but high marks for his role of young Obi-Wan.
1: One, one, one key, This is part of the reason I'm going to probably need to watch Star Wars Clone Wars at some point, is that somebody that I very much, another friend that I very much trust and like told me recently is that hey, I hated the prequels as much as you did. But then I watched Star Wars Clone Wars and it filled in a lot of the gaps. It filled yeah, it, in a little, it mm-hmm. really. It, it provided now a complete package, and he also provided justification that I hadn't really ever thought of before. But is a really a statement in favor of the prequels as compared to the more recent Star Wars films. Is that whatever you want to say about them, whatever flaws you want to say in the acting and the overemphasis on action and the overemphasis on CGI, they they show a central vision that ha- that has to be respected. That there was a clear arc. There's a clear structure about all of them that is absent from more recent films by, I think in large part, just having different people write and write and control them. And did you, that's, yeah. a, merit. that's a merit to the prequels.
0: <clears throat> have you ever heard Dave Filoni talk about the prequels? No, I don't
1: think I have. So there's a,
0: there's a, there's a clip that got, um, that, that went viral of Dave Filoni talking about the prequels. I can send it to you. Actually, I can put it out on Talks.com. So go to Talks.com, I'll put it in our message boards. It's, he is talking about the prequels, and he is the guy who is a showrunner for Clone Wars, all, all eight seasons. I did realize. And wow. <clears throat> he talks glowingly of the prequels. That man loves the prequels. He loves episode one. He thought The Phantom Menace was like high cinema. He loved it. And your friend, who, who it's absolutely right, <clears throat> that I think in large part because Dave Filoni loved the prequels, he does not shy away from the prequels and doing The Clone Wars. It's very much intertwined with those storylines, with those characters. There's tons of callbacks to the prequels. And yeah, it does help fill in the gaps. And in a lot, in a lot of ways, it does it, um, like what we got in, we traditionally got in Star Wars, which was basically there's a movie, here's 10 books that clean up the movie and describe everything about it and give you all the backstory necessary to make you think that there was no flaws in the movie. Basically, (laughs) that's what what has happened in Star Wars for a very long time. And Clone Wars did that. It's really good in that way. But man, it is, I think it's gutsy for Disney to go forward with a Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan series. And it would be very gutsy to go forward with a Rosario Dawson, Ahsoka Tano series. But Disney's thinking about it.
1: Either way, they would make money. No, oh, fuck e- yeah. <laughs> e- even if they ultimately burn down the house as they're building it, they would still sell a lot of tickets.
0: Absolutely. Anything else you want to talk about the episode before we go into our
1: segments? Uh, given that I've got two pages of quotes, I think we better get to it sooner rather than later.
0: <laughs> okay, well, we are going to best line of the episode. Spencer, you provide me with nominees for best line of the episode. This is a tough one. We're getting into succession territory with the number of potential lines of the episode here. I am Emperor of Best Line of the Episode. I alone will choose Best Line of the Episode. Spencer,
1: take it away. Do you have a list yourself too? Just ask. Yeah. Okay. Let's do call and response for this, and let's just narrow it down to like five favorites. We can actually. uh, I don't. uh, hmm? Yeah. If you prefer, I can just. How about you do
0: yours and I'll do mine. That will be better.
1: Okay. Uh. All right. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna.
0: Actually, we can do call and response. That's okay. All right. Go ahead.
1: Uh, we 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 can we can adjust as we need to because I, I I've got so many I'm just gonna have to narrow I'm just gonna narrow them down as I go. Probably mm-hmm. I don't think it's gonna win, but the line I will probably think of most going forward on this, and I may even use myself, is mm-hmm. the Shokatano's little throwaway line about I like first good or bad they're always memorable. That one really stuck with me as just being a really good line. It just kind of made, mm-hmm. made me feel warm inside whenever I thought about it.
0: Um, I've got we've been expecting you, then and you know what I want. You will learn nothing from me.
1: Solid. Solid. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Shokatano talking about Grogu. He was raised at the Jedi Temple of Coruscant. Many masters trained him over the years. At the end of the Clone Wars, and the Empire rose to power, he was hidden. Someone took him from the temple. Then his memory becomes dark. He seemed lost, alone. I've only ever known one other being like this, a wise Jedi Master named Yoda. Like you referenced. How important Yoda still is to uh, uh, Shokatano. Uh... the history <laughs> of Gro- I got it, I'm, I'm stubborn <laughs> now. The history of Grogu and really explaining a lot of why he is the way he is and a lot of what in gives us helps us finally get a bit of a sense more of his character. It's a really important line, which is just dripping with history that just leads us to want to know more. And it's, it's the kind of void that just wants to draw you in. So between the heart of hearing about Yoda again and between that kind of bit of his touch of a history, great line.
0: Very good one. This one's a little long, too. He's formed a strong attachment to you. I cannot train him. His attachment to you makes him vulnerable to his fears, his anger. I've seen what such feelings can do to a fully trained Jedi Knight. To the best of us, I will not start this child down that path. Better to let his abilities fade.
1: Just for how much that line pissed you off at Merritt's mention. No!
0: I'm like Darth Vader with the, with the restraints, going down on one knee, screaming, You will not let his abilities fade.
1: Uh, I'm not going to do this one, but I love the line about discussing the forces and energy field between all living things. Please mm-hmm. emphasize that more than midichlorians. Thank you, Fabro. Um, but it has to be mentioned about now, tell me, where is your master? Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? Just as a mic drop moment of the entire fandom it just has a brief heart attack when that happens, that has to be up there. And probably a lot of where, not necessarily, maybe not even necessarily Mandalorian, but where this... Okay, this time period in Star Wars, this around 5 years plus after the Battle of Endor, what Disney's going to go with it? Do with it? Them name dropping Thrawn, it feels like, "Hey, you want to know what the entire focus of our plot and shows folks in this area is going to be? Here's a hint."
0: There is one possibility. Go to the planet Typhon. There you will find the ancient ruins of a temple that has a strong connection to the Force. Place Grogu on the scene stone on the top of the mountain. Then Grogu can choose his path. If he reaches out through the force, there is a chance a Jedi may sense his presence and come searching for him. Mm -hmm. Uh. Then again there aren't many Jedi left. I, I, love, <clears throat> I, I love, kind of separate both of those.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to do that last line if you, were, if, you, if you were to do it separately, but I think I think yeah. it's good to you honestly separate them. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll take the, se- the separate part of it for, the, for finishing up my segment because yeah, go ahead. it mm-hmm. is a very powerful line. Not only shows the amount of regret, it shows the amount of loss that's motivating this character, but it also leaves open the idea that we were debating the last episode how many other Jedi are still left. Is it really only this handful? But the fact that she's leaving it open just leaves open so many possibilities to explore. And I, I like the regret, but also the hope in that line, too. That she doesn't know this will work, but she's still sitting on the mission under just the... Even if it's a fool's hope that there is still a, there are still Jedi out there, there's still an order out there. There's still a future out there, even if she doesn't really know herself how to be part of it.
0: Does she know that Yoda's dead is the question?
1: I don't know. Maybe.
0: She might think Yoda's still alive because I actually had the thought when she started her little diatribe that she was going to send him to Dagobah.
1: Oh God, that would have hurt. should been right? Does she even know that Yoda survived the fall of Coruscant, the fall of the Jedi Order?
0: Yeah. Do we? No. No. Yeah. She might have thought Yoda died. She may just be completely lost. No, hold on.
1: I've not seen no, no, Star Wars no, she, Rebels. No, I don't know.
0: No, well, she's very, in her, her involvement in Rebels is very, very limited. She's very, very rarely in Rebels. Okay. Um, Yeah, I don't think we know. I don't think she has any conception of if Yoda's alive or not. And and if he, if he died on Dagobah, if he got to Dagobah, if he died in Order 66, I don't think she knows. Okay. Okay, this is really tough. Of all of the Mandalorian episodes... Just cards on the table he, table here, folks. This is the hardest one. Um, best line of the episode I've ever done. So I'm going to give this we're g- reaching back to my Game of Thrones, um the GOT Cat Questions podcast days and the days of doing succession, which had fifty bajillion potential lines <laughs> of the episode because that shows nothing but dialogue. I am going to award a honorable mention first, and then I will go to best line of the episode.
1: Okay, give it to us all right you're a pansy but you know do what you need to do
0: (laughs) um all right well hold on give me just a second here all right honorable mention for best line of the episode goes to now tell me where is your master where is grand admiral Thrawn? that line would have been best line of the episode spencer in full disclosure to you if I got to choose what hit me in the cockles the most what got me the most excited the one that got me up out of my chair more than any other line it's that one but I had to back up and I had to think about what this what story is being told here and I do not think the story of Ahsoka versus Grand Admiral Thrawn is really being told in this series we may get parts of it it may be tangential but I don't think we're gonna it may be out there Um, kind of on the fringes as this central story is being told. So I had to go back to what story is being told by this show. And through that lens, I award best line of the episode two. There is one possibility. Go to the planet Tython. There you will find the ancient ruins of a temple that has a strong connection to the force. Place Grogu on the scene stone on the top of the mountain. Then Grogu can choose his path. So in a word, that's that's the best line of the episode, but I want to in bold, italicized, underline, then Grogu can choose his path. Mm-hmm and there you go that's best line of the episode.
1: it almost feels like the thrawn line is referencing where the canon is going but the Grogu line is referencing where the show is going exactly the best quote within the show i agree that is the one that's setting the path for our this not only his own path but our path for possibly not just this season but next
0: yeah so that's you know the grand Admiral thrawn line got me just as a star wars fanatic just foaming at the mouth but i had to realize that that how i like to and how we like to i would say we we award best line of the episode in all of the shows that we've done from Game of Thrones to Chernobyl to Succession now to the Mandalorian it's always about a good line that also has narrative importance mm-hmm. and this this line clearly does
1: good reference i like it
0: all right we will now go to Nostalgic moment of the episode, Spencer. I feel like I could do this one for you, but it is your uh, it is your segment, so take it away.
1: Let's both do it. I, I can reference one that means something to me. You can reference one that meant something to you. There's a lot sure. to draw here. I mean, okay. I'm not gonna take I'm not gonna take one from you and let you do it, but probably what would win for me, despite everything, there's so many there's so much great things here, but one of the things I just found most nostalgic and I really appreciate seeing were like we referenced, essentially the Dagobah training scene that we get. In terms of Ashoka and Mando having that kind of quiet moment of understanding the Force, of helping someone else come into understanding the Force or remember their connection to the Force, just gave me such delightful Star Wars vibes. I appreciate a show that is able to just be slow for a moment, to just have a quiet moment between characters, and have it be really powerful and really meaningful, and have that connect to Star Wars lore with that really referencing back to just the understanding of the Force as an energy field created by all living things it was just such a great scene that just made me feel nostalgic for all some of the the best training moments in Star Wars. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Yeah, I thought you were going to say the reference to HK droids. I'm
1: going to do that one in a minute if you let me do it, but uh, (laughs) there's a lot. But first and foremost for me, I just, that was such a great scene for all the wonderful Star Wars vibes it gave me.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say... um... Someone took him from the temple, then his memory becomes dark, he seems lost, alone. I've only known one other being like this, a wise Jedi master named Yoda. So the reference of Yoda, Yoda even being mentioned in The Mandalorian, which I had to be like a plus 600 underdog at the start of the series, because what we were told is this is going to be a completely separate Star Wars story that's going to be a space western. Yes. Uh, built around is. a character. Built around a character we have never met before. Mm. Uh, basically, in a galaxy long, long, far away, but uh, in parts of that galaxy that we have never seen before. So I never thought we would get Yoda. So the fact that Yoda's even mentioned, but it's perfect that when we get Yoda, it's Ahsoka that mentions him that she softens, she smiles and there's still warmth yeah. there. That's, so yeah, that's nostalgic. Upset for
1: that, me. N- that smile alone <laughs> could merit a separate nostalgia moment. And then throw in the fact that we get the Jedi temple Coruscant, Jedi masters, Yoda, the clone wars all mentioned in the same paragraph. Fuck dear Lord. Um, yeah. H.K. Droids. <laughs> I'll do H.K. Droids next. Uh, I love H.K. Droids. I love their appearances. For those of you who have not played Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, the original by Bioware from back in the early 2000s, we get a wonderful character named H.K. 47 that is one of the best, both the most, it's one of the most, most effectively done comic characters, despite being an H.K. droid in all of the Star Wars set and all of the Star Wars lexicon. H.K. droids are a wonderful part of the lore. They've made a lot of incredible, wonderful references so the fact they're being brought back into canon in their explicit HK assassin droid way is just great. So I, I appreciated that. Again, this is Favor taking the parts that he really likes from the legends and just making them canon again, because he can or actually, this was Filoni even actually wrote this episode, didn't
0: he? Filoni wrote the episode. He directed the episode. It's really uh, a Dave Filoni vehicle here. And I think, credit. um, I, and I have no doubt. I bet you my left arm here that when, uh, this is going back to my best line of the episode here. Sorry, skipping over the HK droids, but um, or but I my nostalgic moment of the episode here. Mm-hmm. Um, that when he told Rosario Dawson, you mentioned Yoda, I bet he said, "You need to you need to think about this like this is your dead grandmother or grandfather. Yeah. Like you need to you need to respond that way because that's how she acts. It. Mm-hmm. Um, I will go with the mention of Grand Admiral Thrawn.
1: Okay. I, how could it not? One of the greatest of all Legends characters brought back into the present. One of the greatest characters created in Star Wars, outside of the original movies themselves.
0: Agreed. You know, and and, you know, the the whole, like, selling point of this episode is, um, I feel like you could do a joke here, right? I feel like you could say, hey, you got to watch this episode. In it, we get introduced to a character that is the most, one of the most popular Star Wars characters of all time that we've never seen on the screen. Mm Mm-hmm. Thrawn, right? You can <laughs> <you could> make <laughs> that joke.
1: Perfectly justified, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Do you have a? Do you have another? One?
1: I there are. I've got two more on my list. and There's one that I just feel morally wrong doing. So instead, I'm going to do Tython. The fact that it appears, the fact that it's a key part of the Legends lore, the fact that it's steeped in tradition of the Force and the origins of the study of the Force, the origins of the Jedi. It is an impressive draw that we get here. Sadly, next episode, they do jack shit with it. But still, the fact that it's a reference and the fact that it's being brought back into canon is interesting, if nothing else.
0: Um, is, is the last one on your list just the fact that we get Ahsoka, period?
1: Yes. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm not saying that one. I have to give that one to you.
0: Yeah, so I'll take that one away. Yeah, I mean, we get, we get Ahsoka Tano. We get someone that is as plugged in to the main players in the Star Wars, the Skywalker saga, as anybody ever. I mean she she knows she's Anakin's padawan she worked closely with with Obi-Wan Kenobi she had missions with Queen Amidala she is the favorite youngling of Yoda she had missions with Mace Windu she knows the whole all the players she was there when the emperor rose to power she was she was there when order 66 was given out and or she was in and around the area when Order 66 went down and, and, you know, she heard of the death of the Jedi. She is very much a player in the old world um, through line of the Skywalker saga. Um, and in that, she's unique at this period of time because you even Luke Skywalker, even if we got Luke Skywalker in the series, he is not as plugged in to the through line of the characters of, of the Skywalker saga as Ahsoka is. I mean, yeah, he's Darth Vader's son, but like Ahsoka knows all of these players and met with them face to face and has memories of them and can, and can talk about them in a more knowledgeable way. So that connection to the old Republic, to the old Jedi council, to Yoda, to Mace Windu, to and Kenobi, to Anakin Skywalker, to all of those players back in the, in the prequel, I think merits a, a nostalgic moment in the episode. How'd I do?
1: I absolutely agree. It's a wonderful summary. It just shows the power of the lore. That you, when you have a character that's able to connect us across eras, just how utterly important she can be. Not, not, not even just in her own right. She's a, ma- she's a wonderful character, but she just gives us so many wonderful tie-ins to so many great parts of the lore.
0: I cannot wait, if we get her again, for her to talk about Anakin I mean that that that's going to make me just like just melt into hey, my couch if, because
1: yeah if they go a certain direction with Grogu and with choose his own path who knows I might be willing to bet money that we get to, we get, get a return and with some very pointed comparisons drawn there
0: I feel like we're going to get to a, a name that Jedi um, <laughs> a segment here Uh, When we, we talk about Grogu trying to choose his own path. But that is for a later episode. Spencer, I believe that wraps up Nostalgic Moment of the Episode. That is our last segment of Chapter 13, The Jedi. As I mentioned at the onset, more excited to do this episode than possibly any other episode of a podcast you and I have ever done. It's lived up to the hype. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Any last thoughts?
1: No, it was a wonderful episode. It sets up so much. It sets up a clear direction for where the show is going, which I always appreciate. The show really does telegraph. This is the direction we're headed in. This is the next step, yeah. uh, and that mm-hmm. makes it exciting. It builds up a wonderful amount of passion week to week, and we got another exciting episode to come next week too.
0: And I feel like, as excited as I was for this episode, to talk about this episode with you because of certain characters. I feel like you'll be as excited about the next episode. Uh, that is just a guess. There's,
1: there's a bit going on. That is on. just a guess. There's a bit going on. I'm excited to talk about Yes.
0: That is just a guess, but we will be here probably in just a few days because we are trying to catch up to get to do our coverage um, of the finale of Mandalorian on the same week that it airs. We are we are diligently pushing our way through that. That will mean that the next episode of Mangatalks TV should be out very soon. Thank you very much for joining us. I have enjoyed this Mangan Talks TV covering The Mandalorian Chapter 13 the jedi go listen to other pods we have archives of whiskey on the weekends that podcast is now dead but go listen to the archives we have mangum reads we got mangum last got mangum talk soups all the fun things in the mangum talks podcast channel and if you want to get a hold of us go to Up upper right hand corner click contact us we read every comment we respond and sometimes we talk about it on pod thank you very much for listening until next time see ya